and welcome to the City Grace Podcast. We're so happy you've decided to join us today as we learn how amazing it is to follow Jesus. Enjoy the message. Today, I want to talk in, in the message today um, about kind of, you know, the rest of 2020 in, in terms of your your faith walk, your, your, your Christian life, following Jesus, all of that kind of stuff. And, and I'm a pastor, and pastors kind of have this unique role um, in the Jesus movement. We kind of have this idea, this calling that we feel in our lives to kind of oversee the church, maybe help guide uh, the church in terms of its direction and health and its growth and its effectiveness and that kind of thing. And the, the thing is, as you begin to pastor, you realize that those ideas are kind of more organic than corporate. They're more individual than collective, and, and they have to do with living things. And the church is actually not just a building or a corporation or an organization, although we all are all of that, um, you know, legally. And, and But the church is basically people. The church is not a corporation. The church is people. The church is you. And, and sometimes when we think about church, that kind of, that all, that simple idea kind of gets lost in our thinking. We, we kind of tend to think of church as somewhere that we go, right? Church services are something that we attend. But really, when Jesus launched the church, church was supposed to be something that we are. And not just that we are individually, but church is supposed to be something that we are together. And some of this has to do with the way that uh, uh, what we call the Bible, this kind of collection of documents that we call the Bible, um, was translated into English. Um, the original you know, documents of the New, Tex- New Testament, the original letters, they were all written in Greek. And when Jesus said that he was going to build a church, he used this Greek word called ekklesia. And, and if you speak Spanish, you know that your word for church is what? Iglesia. It's something different sounding than church. And, and the idea in this, this word of ecclesia, it was never about a building. The word ecclesia doesn't have anything to do with a building at all. In fact, in, in our modern day experience, it might have something more to do with what we would think of when we think of a per- political rally. If someone gets together for a political rally or for a demonstration, that kind of thing, that is an ecclesia. It's a gathering of a people around a common idea or a common kind of movement. But it has nothing to do with a building. It has nothing to do with a building. It has nothing to do with what we might call church services. But somewhere along the lines, kind of as the texts were, were, were translated from Greek to Latin, eventually everything kind of filtered through Germany, this word got inserted there, and they kind of took out this idea of, of ecclesia, and they inserted this German word called, I believe, like Kirche or something like that, and, and it's kind of hard to pronounce. I don't speak German. But loosely translated, it kind of talks about a house that belongs to the Lord. Instead of a movement, instead of a gathering, the word and the idea for church became that it was a house that belongs to the Lord. And that's partly why, you know, back in ancient times that the church of Jesus kind of became more associated with its buildings than its cause. And, and, and building church buildings became significant within Christian culture. And it's still that way today. In fact, we're doing a renovation project on our church building. And yet, you know, Jesus never really had that in mind or never really talked about that. And we're happy for the renovation project. We're glad we're doing it. We think it's the right thing to do, especially like just kind of trying to untangle all of people's ideas about church and all of that kind of thing. But what is most important for us as a church, and this is something that we can't lose sight of, and I don't ever want to lose sight of as long as I'm pastor at City Grace, City Grace. what's most important is for us to emphasize the cause for which we have a building. It's not about a building. 
It's not, about a pro, it's not about our programs. It's about the cause for which we have the building and the programs. The cause, the, the, the rallying point, the idea, the philosophy, the teachings, the life, the love, the message of Jesus, that is what makes us the church that Jesus built. What makes us the church that Jesus built is our belief that he is, in fact, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. He is the promised rescuer from God himself. As we look through the, the New Testament documents and see what the early Christians, the ideas that they had and the things that they said about Jesus, we should have a common belief that he alone is the true image of our creator God. We should have an idea that he is the image that we were meant to reflect from the very beginning. We need to have common beliefs that he alone can forgive our sins and our injustices. He alone is the pattern for a redeemed future, not just for us individually, but for all of creation. Jesus Christ is the reason for everything. He is the explanation of everything. He is the light of all things. And those are some of the truths, some of the big ideas that you kind of have to hold or at least kind of be wrestling with if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, if you're going to be a Christian, if you're going to be a part of the movement. These beliefs kind of bind us together as the ecclesia, the gathering, the rallying that Jesus intended to build. And, and if you've been in church for any length of time, you know that one day Jesus kind of asked his, his 12 closest followers there, what, you know, what, what's the word on the street? What are people saying about me and who I am? When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his, his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, well, some people are saying you're John the Baptist, which was strange because John the Baptist was dead. Some saying you're Elijah, which is strange because Elijah had been dead for hundreds of years. And still others, Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. In other words, a lot of people think that you're the old dead voices and old de you know, dead ideas maybe kind of come back to life with a slightly different spin on it. And Jesus looks at him and he's, he's thinking about everybody's ideas of religion and church and, and who he is and what he was there to do. What are people saying about me? And he looks at them and he asks them, well, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And this is kind of the central idea that you have to wrestle with as you kind of begin your journey of following Jesus. Who do you say that Jesus is? Who do you think that Jesus is? And it's not that you have to have it all figured out. They didn't have it all figured out. You read the, the accounts of the disciples. I mean, they were horrible Christians at times, right? But Jesus simply called them to follow him, to put his words and his life and his teachings to the test as they kind of went about the business of figuring it out. So he knew what they were up against. He knew how his voice and his teachings was going to clash with the rulers and the philosophy, uh, the philosophy of their days. He knew that his views and his teachings were going to run crossways to how people viewed power and, and sex and money and, and even how people thought of God himself, the creator himself. So this was the key thing that he needed to know for them. If you're going to follow me, if you're going to carry on my movement, my ecclesia, if you're going to be the one to take my light in my life and carry it into your world and your generation and different parts of the world, then you have to tell me who you think I am. Well, Peter, who I say this very lovingly, Peter was kind of like the loudmouth of the group. Peter's probably standing right in the front, and, 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 and you know, Peter answers him, well, Jesus, we think you're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. And I want to tell you, this is one of my, uh, the, the, the things that I stick on all the time, and sorry if you hear me say this all the time, you're going to have to hear me say it again. I hope I say it so much that you get sick of hearing it, because probably, maybe, hopefully by then, you'll start believing it yourself. Peter was Jewish. 
And so when we read that word Messiah, it doesn't really carry a lot of meaning for us. But the theme of a Messiah to a Jewish person was something full of richness and meaning and depth. It was way more than just a title. It was way more than just a word. It was a person. It was a champion. It was hope itself embodied, sent from God. Everybody back then kind of know, and and we all know this, right, even in our times, that people around us and even us ourselves sometimes, we can't be all that God intended us to be when he made us. Hello? Anybody ever said, I'm not perfect? Yeah, you know this. You get this, right? People are not everything that God created us to be. The world is not exactly, can't be, what a good creator had in mind when he created the world. And there's this force that's at work in the world, this, this evil force, and, and the Satan is used a lot of times, and sin and evil and all of these words. This force exists in the world. We know this. We've experienced this. We've been this. We've done this. We've had it done to us. There is a force that corrupts what we know of the goodness of God. But see, here's the thing about Jewish people. They believed that one day the Creator God was going to send a rescuer into the world. Someone who would be a champion of people who were enslaved and under the control of that evil force in their lives. And he would be able to set them free and redeem their lives and put them back into the condition and the state that God intended for them to be. So when Peter makes this statement about Jesus, that you're the Messiah, it was a big deal. He's saying, you are that promised rescuer. You're the one that's going to forgive everything that we've done wrong. And not only that, but give us the power to not continue our mistakes into our future, to be a different kind of person altogether. And in in Jewish literature, in what we call the Old Testament, there were so many words, so many ideas that were kind of around this, this idea, this picture of this coming rescuer, this coming Messiah. It was the arm of God. It was the kingly presence of the creator God. It was the image of the invisible God. And so Peter was saying, let's just go ahead and call you the the son of our God, the one that came from the heart of the Father himself who has become flesh and has entered our world and has entered our darkness and our pain and our confusion and our brokenness and everything that is, and you have come to set things right. That's what Peter was saying when he said, you're the Messiah. You, Jesus, are the answer to everything that's broken in us. And Jesus looks at Peter and he says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. He's basically telling him, you're smart, but you're not that smart. This was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. Peter, I can tell that you're in tune with what's going on. Peter, I can tell that you were listening in Sunday school, but it wasn't just you on your own. My Father has shown you this. And then there comes this moment when Jesus like looks ahead in time, when Jesus looks about 2,000 years into the future, and he sees us sitting here this morning. When he sees us over the past however many years that you have been a part of his ecclesia and his movement. And Jesus says this, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock, on this revelation, this understanding of who I am, I will build my, and then in our Bibles it says church, but the word that he used in the original Greek was that word ecclesia. I'm going to build, on this foundational understanding of who I am, I'm going to build a rallying point for people to come and gather together with a common belief that Jesus Christ is the only answer for the broken and corrupt parts of ourself. And on this rock, I will build 
my ecclesia, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. On this truth of who I am, that I am the rescuer sent from the Creator, that I am the image of our Heavenly Father, on that truth I'm going to build my movement. And the gates of hell are going to do their worst to silence me, and the gates of hell are going to do their worst to silence you. But the powers of their world, of this world and, and its culture, the powers that are going to try and make me seem outdated and antiquated and irrelevant, and they will not be able to snuff out the light that I shine through my ecclesia. And you, and you, and you, and you, and you, you and you and you and you and you. Not sure about no, I'm just kidding. You, you're the ecclesia. You are the church. Turn to somebody close to you and point your finger and tell them you're the church. This is what we're about. This is what the church exists for. We are to be the ones who declare to the world that there is rescue and hope in Jesus. Our lives and our words are supposed to be the, 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 the message and the, and the means by which we tell the world there is forgiveness for every past and there is purpose for every future. That no matter how isolated and how cut off you may feel on your own, that we can be one in Jesus Christ. That our lives and my life and your life are meant to reflect the hope and the love of Jesus Christ into the world. But the ecclesia, the church of Jesus, it was never about a building. It was always about a you. It was always about a person. And so you and I are what Jesus promised to build. You and I, in, in, in the way that we think, we are what Jesus promised to build. Our ideas, our behavior, our actions from Monday to Monday, 24-7, 365.25 days a year. What we love and what we don't love, how we treat others and how we forgive others and how we give to others, how we deal in mercy and in forgiveness and instead of revenge and retribution, how we mourn over what's broken in the world, how we hunger and thirst for the right thing to be done in our world, how we make peace when division is the order of the day in our world, how we recognize just how poor we really are in the right kind of spirit that is needed and how we pray for God to fill us with the things that he is so rich in, with his love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and meekness and temperance and faith. All of those things should be a part of our life and who we are and drive us and fill us up and overflow out of us. And so he's building his church as he is building us. He builds his church by building us. He builds the church corporate by building you and me individually. And that is how Jesus builds his church. And part of the tools that he uses to build a church is a pastor. And that does not make me special. That makes me responsible. That does not make me a dictator. It, in fact, makes me your servant. So anything you need, Two in the morning, you need something, call me, and I'll give you somebody's number who you can call who will come. No, I'm a pastor, but I'm not here to get anything from you. I am here to give you all that I can to pray for you and to love on you and to cry with you and laugh with you and help with you and support you and encourage you. And I, just, I want to do that. I want to be that for you because I believe in you. If you are here, God has called you here. Nothing happens by accident. Everything, everyone happens for a reason. 
And so I want to be a part of God's process of building his church, which means I want to be a part of God's process of building you. And so I'd love to sit down with every single one of us and, and talk through where you are and how you are and what's going on and, and maybe what you're looking at for 2020. But our church family is getting to the size where that's just not feasible anymore. I can't sit down with everybody individually. And, and, and you know, it, really the things that I hope to see in each of us aren't necessarily generic, I mean, are, you know, unique to you. There are a lot of common things that I think that we could see in each other and, and in ourselves. And so as we kind of look at these common things that we want to develop, I wanted to take today and talk about some of the things that I think grow us as Jesus followers, some of the things that I hope to see in you if you follow Jesus with City Grace in 2020. And so I want to take some time today and talk about maybe some new leaves for you to turn over in 2020. And now is where I start my message. Everybody got kind of nervous, right? So here's the thing that I'm setting up and praying for, first of all, in 2020. This is the biggest one. This one's going to take the longest. The other ones won't take as long. But listen to me. If Christianity is boring, if church is boring and coming to church is boring, then you may not be doing it right. Now, that's not me pointing a finger at you. That's me offering you hope. Because if it's boring and you didn't want it to be boring, there's good news. Maybe you were just doing it wrong, right? There's a different way to do it. I'm not crazy enough to promise that you will never sit through a boring church service or a boring sermon. Maybe can't even deliver on that today, right? But living a life of intentionally following the Holy Spirit should never, ever be boring. It should be scary, but it should never, ever be boring. And this is the thing. A lot of people stop being Christians for this very reason. Not that they stop completely believing everything, but it just doesn't seem to make sense or to matter in their day-to-day -day life because we've all gotten this idea that church is about church buildings, The church is about a campus or a, a location, The church is about church services, and that's not what Jesus intended it to be about. And so maybe, maybe you're doing it wrong. And, and so one of the things that I'm praying for this year, for every single person that follows Jesus with us here at City Grace, I pray that you obey the Spirit in doing something that requires courage and sacrifice in 2020. Now, this may not be something that you're praying for, but I am praying that God calls you to do something this year that is going to take courage and it's going to take sacrifice for you to follow Jesus outside of your comfort zone. And this is part of why being a Christian might be boring to some people. Either they haven't found or maybe they haven't responded to a challenge by the Holy Spirit. And I'm not saying that it's going to happen every day. I'm not saying you're going to have a new challenge every week or every month. I don't know. Everybody's different. I don't even pretend to understand how God works and the way God works and all that. But, but at some point, you, if you follow Jesus long enough and seriously enough and plugged in enough, at some point, the Holy Spirit is going to tug on your heart. It's going to start nagging on your mind, right? Every time you try and pray, it's going to be there. Every time you think about Jesus, it's going to be like a rock in your shoe. Something that God is calling you to do, that God wants you to do. And you know, I need to do this. I should be doing this. Listen, I hope it's huge. I hope it scares you so bad your hair turns white. I hope it scares you so bad your hair turns loose 
Like I am hoping, you know, I hope it requires more courage than you have. I hope it's going to cost you something that you're not sure that you want to pay. I hope you're scared and you're not sure how it's going to end up. All you can see is a big step in front of you and you have to follow God into something that's completely unknown and foreign to you. Now listen, for all those that are really gung-ho, I don't want this to be something that you manufacture. You don't need to be crazy for crazy's sake. There's enough crazy going on in the world today. Can I hear an amen from somebody? You don't need to test God. You don't need to prove God. There's no drinking Kool-Aid. We're not talking about handling snakes. Don't quit your job with nothing lined up. Don't marry the next girl that matches you on Christian Mingle. Like, listen, slow your roll. Calm down, right? But something that you have gotten godly counsel on. Something that another person who follows Jesus, you've invited them to pray with you. You've asked them to speak into your life. And it's something that seems completely in line with God's work. Something that comes through much prayer. Something that people who love you and love Jesus agree with you. Yes, this might be scary, but this seems right. You cannot, listen to me, you cannot go on too long in living for God without doing something that requires faith. You're going to get bored. You're going to dry up. And if, you know, if, if God's not leading you deeper into faith, eventually it's going to seem irrelevant. Listen, and, and you know, this is a thought. Some people think, you know, well, Jared, how, how can you say that, right? I mean, if, if you follow the things that Jesus tells you to do in life, isn't life going to be peaceful? Listen, you can learn to go through the motions that will bring your life peace. Anybody remember Solomon? Supposed to be the wisest man in the world, right? Solomon prayed for wisdom. And so God said, okay, I'm going to give you wisdom. Solomon was the wisest man in the world. But here's the problem with that. Where did Solomon end up? Solomon ended up right where Solomon led Solomon to be in his own wisdom. He got so smart on his own, he didn't think he needed God anymore, even though the wisdom came from God. Right? He started following his own wisdom, started believing his own hype. So here's what I think you should do. I think instead of asking God for wisdom, maybe we should just pray for God to give us his voice. Like, God, don't make me smart enough to figure it out on my own, but God, make it so that when I don't ask you first, I end up in trouble. Make it so that my every moment and my every word is dependent on me being plugged in to your presence. I don't want my own wisdom. Can I hear an amen from somebody? Can I hear an amen from anybody that leaves the foil on when you start the microwave? Anybody that's ever locked their keys in their car? Hello. Anybody that put anything on their credit cards for Christmas? Awkward silence right there. I don't want to do things that only I can figure out. I don't want my own wisdom. I want God's wisdom. I want God's voice. I want God's way and God's leading and God's protection and God's provision. I want more of God. Hello. So, Jesus, I don't want a good life. I want you. I want your life, right? Jesus, I don't want to figure out how to make things out or make it on my own. I, I want you. And think about it. If Jesus really did rise from the dead, if he really did send his Holy Spirit back to live within us and to guide us, don't we want his constant presence in our life? If nobody can love us like Jesus, don't we always want Jesus with us every single moment of life? If, if he really is love 
personified, if He really is mercy and peace and protection, don't we want to sense His closeness every single moment? It's the difference between a philosophy and a person. It's the difference between religion and a relationship with a risen Savior. And God, help me to always remember that you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God, the promised rescue, the promised closeness. That's why they said his name will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Mm, God with us. See, this is deep Christianity, living every moment plugged into the Holy Spirit facing every circumstance in life, not doing what we think, but listening to his voice and following him wherever he leads. This, this is deep Christianity. Remember sometimes, you know, you, you heard a confusing sermon somewhere and somebody said, man, that was really deep. Man, pastor was preaching really deep today. And you're thinking, well, you know, yeah, but I didn't understand it. I didn't know what to do with that. And somebody said, well, yeah, that's because it was deep. No, that's not deep. That's just confusing. Deep Christianity isn't about information that flies over your head. Deep Christianity is about following Jesus into circumstances where you are in over your head. That's deep Christianity. Deep means you can't stand on your own two feet. Deep means that you obey with no guaranteed outcome. Deep means a yes to God even though you don't know where it's going to end up. Deep means a yes to God even though you don't have enough on your own, have enough knowledge, have enough resources, have enough strength. Think about that. Think about the Christians that you know that have impressed you. Maybe it's somebody that you know or related to, somebody that you love, a grandparent or aunt, uncle, dad, mom, whatever it is. Think about the heroes of faith from the Bible. It wasn't what they knew that impressed you. It's what they did in spite of what they knew that impresses us. It's them living by faith. It's how they responded so far above and beyond our kind of knee-jerk responses. And we think, well, I don't know if I could ever respond like they did. I don't know if I could ever do what they did or give what they did or go where they went or say what they said. But here's the secret. They didn't know they could either. And they did it anyway. And God makes up what we Lack, but you are never going to experience the richness of God until you face your own poverty. You're never going to know the wisdom of God until you face your own ignorance. You're never going to know the love of God until you recognize the things inside of you that are hating and evil and, and twisted. You're never going to know the mercies of God until you experience giving forgiveness. You're never going to know the provision of God until you come to a point where you tell God, God, I don't have enough. And listen, some of us aren't there, right? And, and following Jesus is a great idea. It's maybe even why we're here, but there's that element of risk that's missing in following Jesus. And your faith, your faith has gotten tame. And your faith in following Jesus and being a Christian is manageable for you. So I'm praying in 2020 for God to scare you to death. That's right. Some of, some of you, you know, you're not sure what that is, but some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. God's been dealing with you already. When you're at that point, you know, nobody has to remind you to pray. Somebody tells you, well, have you been praying? And you think, well, that's all I do anymore because, like, I'm scared, right? I don't know. And, God, I'm so anxious about it. And, God, I'm so keyed up, and it's a big deal. And, and I don't know what it is. Maybe in your faith journey you've never been baptized. Maybe it's time for you to be baptized this year. Maybe you've never led a small group before, and you think, I don't know if I could ever lead a small group. I'm not even, not even sure that I believe the material or could teach the material. Maybe it's tied to financial giving. 
Maybe it's a prayer, a fast that God is calling to you to do. Maybe it's, it's you starting to walk to the front after the messages and start surrendering different aspects of your life to God. Maybe it's the release of that thing that it's just been bugging you, right? And you've been letting it hang around, but you know it's time to give it up and give it to God. It's time to ask a brother in the church to help you carry the weight of what you're struggling with. This is what it means. This is what it looks like to walk by faith. It's not just a mental assertion. Faith is not just a brain thing. Faith is what you do and what you live out and what you act out because of what you believe. And all through the New Testament, the early Christians knew this. That's why James, the half-brother of Jesus, he, he said, faith without any actions, faith without any works, it's dead. It's dead. And some people leave their faith in Jesus Christ because going to church just seems dead. So, Jesus, scare us. Jesus, scare us. And in the future, when you tell this part of your story, in the future, when you tell this part of your experience, it's going to be emotional and it's going to be important because you trusted what God said and you did it even though it seemed a little bit out of your reach, even though it seemed a little bit out of your comfort zone and God came through and God took you where you could not go on your own. But listen, if you don't do this, you're going to become an experienced Christian and you're going to get stale in your faith and you'll call yourself a Christian because of something you did one time long ago, and it won't be because of the daring and challenging things that God is doing in you and through you now. But when you take that step, and when you go there, you will pray like you have never prayed. You will open your Bible like you have never opened your Bible, and it will seem more alive than it's ever been. You will sing worship songs and you, that you've sung for years, but you'll be crying and lifting your hands down. You'll be saying, it's my favorite song. And somebody said, we've sung that song for eight years. And you'll say, I know, I love it. And everything will start to connect. And the Christian life will start to make sense. And God's presence will be so much clearer to us when we get our eyes on His purpose, and His destiny, and His plan for our lives. Hello. So you need to do some things to scare you. You need to do some things to scare you. And here, look, here's the thing about this. this. Jesus was actually at one time getting close to the end of His public career. And He's heading for Jerusalem where He's about to be crucified. And and, and that, you know, that death was going to bring this new life for the world. There was this, maybe this last big push that Jesus was making to, to invite people to, to be a part of his ecclesia. And we don't really know where the man in this story comes from. There was always a crowd following. Maybe Jesus had even seen this man around before, hanging, on, hanging around, hanging around, hanging around, coming to the gatherings, coming to the gatherings, coming to the gatherings. And Luke, who interviewed all the people that were kind of a part of Jesus' life and everything that he wrote down, Luke tells us in 959 that Jesus said to another man, follow me. Now think about it. On this side, it makes sense, right? Opportunity of a lifetime. Be a part of the movement that's going to change the course of human history. Come and follow me. From Jesus' own mouth to the man, directly, physical space, no like prayer barrier, any of that kind of stuff. Follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Now, first, that seems like a reasonable request. I have a funeral to attend, right? But, it, but in the first century, that's not really what was going on. And we kind of miss this sometimes because our culture is different. Here, we don't go to the funeral until like four or five days after the death. But you remember the story of Lazarus? Lazarus was in the tomb by day number four. Like when you passed away, 
they put you in the ground or in a cave as quickly as they could because of everything going on. This guy wasn't asking for permission to go and attend a funeral. He was asking for permission to go live out the remainder of his father's life so he could settle the estate and kind of put all of the affairs in order. And in that language, it was, it was a, a request to gain some inheritance for himself and kind of set his own life up by his own measure of how his life should be set up. And then, on his own terms, he was going to come back. When everything was tame, everything was calm, he'd be assured of all the things that had to be kind of set in order in his life. Then he'd come back. And he followed Jesus, but Jesus had no chill. And Jesus says to him, it's actually in one of the other versions of the Bible. Jesus said to him with no chill, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. That's a fairly pointy statement, isn't it? It's a fairly harsh statement. He's talking about inheritance and position and estates and future considerations and what Jesus is telling him. All of those things are dead when you compare them to the opportunity to proclaim an everlasting life to other people who are dead. Leave those temporary and empty things. Somebody say temporary. Somebody say empty. Leave those temporary and empty things, and you go and proclaim the kingdom of God, a new kind of kingdom where your wealth and your status means nothing. Your estate and your inheritance, it's not a cause for self-promotion, but make some noise about the new kind of kingdom where people who are enslaved by that force that is destroying their lives are finally set free to become everything that God has called them to be. Leave your own consideration and look at the needs of the people around you and go and make that happen. And here's the thing. We're all here today. Some of us that are following Jesus today, we're all the result today of invitations and websites and kids programs and youth groups and many, many prayers of an earlier generation of our church family who decided to leave the temporary and empty pursuits of life to join the Jesus Ecclesia and go and proclaim to the rest of us Hey, Jesus has hope for you. There is mercy. There is new beginning. There is new life. There is an eternal kingdom that you have been called to be a part of. This is the call that's on each and every one of our lives. Not to come attend services. Hello. We can't entertain you here. We can never compete with the experience of going to a football game. City Grace Church is not about a Sunday experience, even though we love our Sunday experience. We're not, our lights are pretty cool. They're kind of cool. The more I look around, there's some other really cool lights. Like, I want you see those laser ones and the smoke and all that kind of stuff? Can you see that one day? Like, it's all black, and then like a big smoke cloud, come, and then Dustin comes walking out. <laughs> I can't see it either. I can't see it either. <laughs> Stephanie comes walking out. Like, that's a little bit easier to see, right? Uh, but no, we're never going to compete with a football game. Never going to compete with Cirque du Soleil. Dude, we went and saw Cirque du Soleil. That's legit, man. Those people are crazy. Those pe CWP, can I hear an amen from somebody? couple of people laugh. I'm going to move on. I probably shouldn't have said that from the pulpit. But anyway, we're never going to compete. It's not about a Sunday experience. 
That's not what things are supposed to be about. We are here today because people in our past have made the sacrifice to call us with the same calling and same love and same mercy. But now we who are living for Jesus in the now, now it is our time. Now it is our calling and our mission. City Grace family, can I hear a huge amen this morning? To leave the empty pursuits of this life, the temporary pursuits of this life, and instead give ourselves to proclaiming the kingdom of God. Oh, I wish somebody was amen. Like, I want some old school amen in about right now. Like, people have been physically healed because of the presence of God in our services. We need to be telling people about that. People with crippling guilt and anxiety have found release from their past in the waters of baptism and come out of that assured that they have a brand new standing with God. People's lungs are filled with the air of heaven as the Spirit of God has filled them up, baptized in the Holy Spirit. Things that were broken have been put back together. Marriages that were falling apart have found a healing. Addicts have been released from addictions. None of it by us. We don't have the power in ourselves but yet all of it comes through us, not because of who we are, but because we are the ecclesia of Jesus Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the rescue. He is the hope of a hurting world. But the church can't become complacent. We can't become, you know, people who are concerned with our building and our programs and our experiences. God, help us. We owe it to our kids. We owe it to the next generation to ask ourselves or to ask every single day, Holy Spirit, what would you require me to do today that might take a courage, that might take a sacrifice that I don't have on my own, that I'm not sure if I can make on my own? So, I'm praying for God to scare you. And I hope that some kids get adopted this year. That got quiet. Hello. I hope that some of us leave careers to become teachers and mentors or maybe sacrifice parts of careers, maybe going from full-time to part-time. I hope somebody in this room volunteers with the Fairfield Mobile Youth Center. I hope somebody here gives a portion of their time to senior care or to orphan care, to meal care, jail visitations, or medical clinic volunteering. I can't wait to see what God does in your world through you. I can't wait to hear your story of how your life was like this and suddenly your life bloomed and blossomed into something you never thought you could do on your own and you can't do on your own. But it's never been about you. It's about what He can do through you. Somebody say it's all about Jesus. All right, we only have two more hours to go. Second thing that I'm praying for, I am praying that you will experience the joy of helping someone take a step to follow Jesus. And look, I I took some time with this wording. Listen, in the past, we just kind of hoped that you would invite somebody to church. This, this is better. This is what needs to happen. To help someone follow Jesus is not only going to change their life, it's going to change your life. To help someone follow Jesus It's going to take a lot of love on your part. It's going to take a lot of prayer and time and sharing meals and sharing life. But someday, when someone shares the story of their journey and they mention your name, someday, 
When someone experiences the joy on Baptism Sunday of coming out of that water and rising to walk in a new kind of life, and they invite you to be part of it, they want you close by because you've become a part of their life, and you were the catalyst, and your prayers made the difference, and your love helped them turn the corner and turn their lives over to God. You were the help they needed. Maybe you weren't the first contact. Maybe you only met them after they came to City Grace, but you were the second or third step that they took. You were the encouragement for that. You took them up in prayer. You invited them over to your house. You fed them. You shared with them. You watched their kids. You gave to them. You prayed for them. You attended small group. You shared your baptism story. (gasps) You get what I'm saying? Like you just invited them to be a part of your life and you helped someone follow Jesus. I am praying that for you for this year. And when you give yourself and involve yourself that much with someone else's life, here's the thing. They're going to have issues and practicalities that are over your head. And you will find out that you are into this thing deep. But you wanted to be a deep Christian anyway, didn't you? Hello. And you'll pray like you've never prayed. You might even fast. I doubt it. And you'll cry over them in a prayer closet. Hello. You'll get choked up as you bring them before God in prayer, and you're going to ask God to do the impossible for them, and you're going to ask God to come through and and to help you help them. And their story and their testimony will be emotional for you for the rest of your life because their story has become part of your story. This, This is why you need to sign up for a small group. This is why you need to invite someone to come along with you. This is why you need to serve the community. Some of us have been in church so long, we don't even have friends who aren't in church anymore. Hello. God help us. We become so insulated and we turn into those kinds of Christians that nobody likes, right? The kind that the news people find for the interviews who say crazy things. I don't want to be that person and neither do you. So I stopped going outside the house in a bathrobe, and I won't be that kind of Christian because it seems like those people are always wearing a bathrobe. I don't, I don't know why. It's the truth, isn't it? But we've been in It's like half truth, right? But listen, I'm praying for this. I'm praying for this. You should be praying about this. You need to be taking inventory of the people in your life because God has placed those people in your life. You need to be thinking about the people that you say you love in your life, and where they are in their relationship with God, and how God might can use you to make a difference, to bring them to Him. Why would you want to bring them to Him? Because you believe that He is the Messiah, the rescuer, the hope, the champion of the lost and the broken and the wandering. Mm, Jesus, help us. Jesus, help us. And you want to know what else is going to happen when you start doing this? All the stuff and all the changes that we're doing around here, all the stuff that we're doing around here, it's finally going to start making sense for you. If you're wondering why in, why in the world they changed the carpet, I like the purple carpet just fine. Purple carpet was awesome carpet. That stuff was indestructible. I don't know. No, my mom talks about that all the time. Dad's here. Dad knows. They picked that carpet because it could withstand a nuclear blast, and it withstood more than that. It withstood your kids for 13 years. Hello. Hello. And you're wondering, why are we changing? Why are we doing all this stuff? It's going to start making sense when you start bringing your friends to church for the first time. When's the last time you showed up to church nervous about what was going to happen at church? Because see, that's what happens. 
When you bring somebody to your church that you sit in a cube next to all day, what do you feel when you go to church that Sunday? Everybody's scared to say it? You're nervous. You don't know what pants Dustin's going to be wearing when he sings that day. You don't know if Jared's going to have a long, boring message or a different kind. And you're just praying, right? Because you've been thinking about it. It took you a lot of courage to ask somebody to come to church with you, right? And, and you'll notice every song. You'll notice every person that talks to your guests. You really hope they talk to that brother. You hope they don't talk to that sister. Hello. Yeah, you know, you know, you need to pray through. Hello. Why? Because you're going to start seeing this family, this body, from the perspective and the viewpoint of someone who is needing to follow Jesus, who wants something in their life that you know can come from following Jesus. And for so many people that we know and love, church is maybe either a painful memory or something that kind of just is supposed to get kept on a shelf and you pull church out for, for weddings and for funerals. But they're thinking building. They're thinking services. They're thinking religion. They're not expecting ecclesia. They're not expecting love and community and harmony harmony and acceptance and belonging and all of the things that have kept you coming to City Grace all of these years. Hello. And so I'm asking God to challenge you with that, to put somebody on your heart that you can't quit thinking about. God, help me to make a difference and to have an impact, to bring them into your presence. And then you bring them into a service like this and we feel the presence of God like we have felt this morning. Isn't it beautiful? To worship God in this atmosphere, and it feels so comfortable and so cleansing, and the closeness and the presence of Jesus. I'm telling you, it's, it's the most incredible thing. When you bring someone, and they tell you afterwards that I felt something while I was there that I've never felt anywhere else. Mm, there was nothing like it. There was nothing, nothing like it. And so I am praying, I am praying that you will experience the, the, the joy of helping someone take a step to follow Jesus. Now, something else that I'm praying for you in 2020, and I'm getting close to being done right here. I pray that you experience the peace and the joy that comes from organizing your finances around the priorities of give, save, live. Everybody say give, save, live. That's the priority. That's the order. Ready? Number one, give. Number two, save. Number three, live. That's the priority. We talked about this just in November. We'll be talking about it again in a couple of months. And this is why we offer Financial Peace University every spring. We say that we want to be like Jesus as a church. We want to love like Jesus. Well, people can see what we really love by looking at the past three months of our bank history. Hello. They'll know that I love Starbucks. They'll know that I love minus signs in the color red. Hello. Jesus said, do not, do not. Somebody say, do not. Somebody say, do not. Somebody say, do not. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Somebody say temporary and empty. Jesus says, I offer you eternally fulfilling. And then he goes on in verse 21 and he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Somebody say heart follows treasure. Heart follows treasure treasure. Jesus says, if you want your heart, the things you love and the things that you kind of fill up your life, if you want your heart to be in a different place than where it is today, start directing some of your treasure over there and watch how your heart follows your treasure. 
But if you just pursue whatever you want to pursue and just live everything selfish and for yourself, listen, your heart is going to be divided and there will be cracks all in it and it will be leaking because it will be chasing a thousand different pursuits. So you need a plan so that your heart isn't divided, so that you're not giving everything to yourself for yourself, so that your money doesn't direct you. You need a plan to direct your money. And we think that the best plan for your finances is the one that leaves you at peace. You want to be at peace. See, we think we want more money, but we don't really want more money. We just want to be at peace with however much money we have. But we think that getting more money is the way to getting more peace. But a lot of times it's not. You worked overtime. You did that. You took that side job. And then what happened? You were never home. And then you had all kinds of friction at home. So you were never at peace. You don't want more money. You want peace. So go through financial peace university. We all do best when we're peer pressured into good habits. Can I hear an amen? Yeah, if you want to go on a diet, don't hang around me because I will peer pressure you into a McDonald's hot fudge sundae in a second. I will peer pressure you into Starbucks frappuccino mochaliciousness just like you don't want to hang around me. We all make the right kind of changes, not when we decide to give something up, but when we decide to trade up for something better. And you, you need to not think of it as giving up your money. You need to think of it as trading up your life for peace and for purpose, living for Jesus. Imagine, imagine if we were all debt-free in this room. First of all, imagine how chill we'd all finally be. Just like, hello. Imagine if we were debt-free, what we could do in our community, what we could do for the hurting and the broken and the kids and the orphans and the abused and everybody that's in our community that so, so needs the practical love of Jesus Christ. They don't need you to walk by them and raise your hand and say, God bless you. Hello, they need help. They need love. They need acceptance. They need provision. And God wants to use you. We are City Grace Church. We are the ecclesia of Jesus Christ, and the grace of God will not magically float from the clouds onto Fairfield. The grace and the mercy and the love of God comes through you and through me. Turn to somebody close to you again and tell them you're the church. You're the church. So I pray, I pray that you experience the peace and the joy that comes from organizing your finances around the priorities of give save, and live. And then the last thing for today, for those that are newer, maybe you're not a believer yet. Maybe you're hoping to get some questions answered this year. Maybe you're hoping that there's something that you missed the first time you started going to church. Maybe you had a bad experience before. Maybe you ran into a narrative in college or somewhere else, and they told you that this couldn't be real. Not if you were going to use your brain, you couldn't be a Christian. Not if you were going to use your brain, and, but there's still something And you know that the best things in life, the deepest things in life, can't be seen under a microscope. Things like courage and love and fear and humility and empathy and all of that stuff. And so there's this tug still. There's still that bit of conscience that you can't seem to shake, that bit of mystery that there's something behind everything else that you're going through. I pray in 2020 that you keep taking steps to follow Jesus. And listen, Christians, Christian experienced Christians, hear me. We are so bad at this sometimes because we reach a certain level of faith and we get to a certain place on our faith journey and we just look around and wonder, like, why can't everybody else be where I am? Why can't everybody else be as holy as I am? Hello. And we have no idea what they have experienced in their life that makes them who they are and where they are. Do we really think we're better than other people? No. 
Hello, the only reason I'm up here holding a microphone is because God gave me this responsibility of coming up in the family that he put me into. If we were to swip, swip, switch, swip, spots, switch spots, I had your parents and you had mine. I had your upbringing and you had mine. I'd be where you are and you'd be holding the mic. Hello. It's nothing but the grace of God that I am where I am. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's all about Jesus. You have no idea. You have no idea what they've gone through. But if you're here and you're thinking of following Jesus and, and something just kind of won't let you completely, you know, like walk away from it, I am praying, I am praying for you that you would simply keep following Jesus. Just, just before you have all the answers, just commit to following him for a little while. Before you have it all figured out, just put his words to the test. And this makes us so uncomfortable. This makes people so uncomfortable. But Jesus invited people to follow him before they ever had it all figured out, before they ever changed. We just saw Luke's writings today. Jesus invited someone to follow him who wasn't sure that they were ready to follow him. Even in the old part of the Bible, the poetry part, it says we should taste and see that the Lord is good. Hello. How do you taste something? You got to try it a little bit, right? Anybody ever tasted escargot? We tasted escargot on our honeymoon cruise. Never again. That will not happen. Hello. I put that on the list right under kale, things that we just won't eat anymore. Hello. Taste and see. Join a small group. Come four Sundays in a row. Wow. Like, can I start that after Super Bowl Sunday? No, start it now. Today's number one. Hello. Join a small group. Serve with us. Give to a cause with us. This isn't a one and done thing. It's not supposed to be a one-time experience at an altar. It's not one special prayer that you pray and now you're a Christian, but it's a lifetime of prayer. It's a lifetime of following Jesus. It's a lifetime of learning and progressively leaning into his care and his arms. And at every single step, you will find that he is enough. He's enough. He said everything that we need. Can I hear an amen from somebody? Can we all stand in the room? Here's the thing with all of this. I talk about this all the time, and again, I hope that I talk about it so much that you get sick of hearing it. With all the noise and all the fuss and everything that's going on, hello, Christians believe this, that we are auditioning for eternity now. We believe that God has called us to be the ecclesia for this world, that God has called us to be the force and the movement that will usher in the next world. We believe that God made the world good, but selfishness and sin that were the results of a broken view of God twisted the good. Sin and selfishness broke the ideas of power and sex and money and all of these things. And ever since that fallen beginning, this world has been filled with the pain and the confusion that comes from broken ideas of what good really is. But we believe what Peter proclaimed, that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the son, the picture, the image of the living God. And his ecclesia, his movement is about finding forgiveness for our past and restoring the picture of God in each and every one of us. It's about us finding the picture of God restored in our attitudes and the image of God restored in our motives, in our behaviors, in our character. This is what it means to belong to the church. This is what it means to belong to City Grace. We we're a group of Jesus followers who are learning to surrender every aspect of ourselves 
and conform to the beautiful and grace-filled picture of our Creator God that we see in His Son, Jesus Christ. And we do this, we do this, because God has promised to one day make a new heaven and a new earth. And in that new heaven and that new earth, there will only be the right thing ever done. The way the Bible says it, in that world, there will be a place that only dwells righteousness, that only dwells, only exists the right way of doing things. And he says it this way, the writer says, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Meaning that if you've ever experienced abandonment, if you've ever, ever experienced being left before, then no one will ever leave you again. No one will ever abandon you again. No one will ever hate you again. No one will ever be prejudiced against you again. No one will ever break your heart again or lie to your face or stab you in the back or take from you what you're not sure can ever, ever be restored. And if you want to be part of that new world, then you can't live the kind of life that would cause those kinds of hurts again. But if you keep living for yourself, hating others and being greedy and self-centered, that you won't be part of that new world. You won't be a part of the new reality that God has promised to create. But if we want to be part of that new heaven and the new earth, then we as Jesus followers practice being truthful and being faithful and being loving and kind. We practice generosity and we practice meeting the lack of others with the generosity of God's supply to ourselves. We practice making peace and forgiving. And it's not that we're perfect. It's not that we're better than anyone else. We live daily being confident only of one thing, that God is good even when we are not. But there should be in every Christian, there should be in each and every one of us, an ache on the inside, a homesickness for a place where we have never been. There should be a sorrow and a grief in us for the pain and the heartache in our world for all of the brokenness that is around us. And Christians then work to bring that new world into our world, to reach into the future and bring what God has promised for then into now, to make then a reality now in our world. For more information about City Grace, you can find us online at citygrace.church. We'll see you next week.